Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode, we brought out Andy Tran back on. And the reason we brought Andy back on is we had him on a few months ago to talk talk about what he's seeing in the second suite market. And if you're not familiar with that space, here at Rockstar, we work with investors constantly who are looking to create cash flow properties. And one of the strategies that we use here is to find properties that we can legally turn into second suites. So a single family home where you can legally add a secondary suite. So it's typically a basement apartment that you're adding in. And it does a couple things. It really allows you to generate more cash flow um, from the property because instead of renting out the property for you know one amount, you're, you're almost, you're not quite, but you're almost doubling the rental income and I'll uh, I'll let you hear what how Andy uh, maps it out on the podcast um, and you're really just so you're increasing the cash flow and you're offering just good housing solutions to an area in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area that desperately needs it we're in a housing crisis stage here in this area of Canada so you know you're offering good housing by putting something like that together and then you as the investor you're really increasing the income you can generate from one property so we brought Andy back on it's been a few months since we've had him ch- uh, chat about this stuff it's a strategy strategy we use here at Rockstar a lot. We wanted to bring Andy on. Um, He's a designer who works with investors to kind of help them navigate through the process of getting permits and working with contractors and implementing this stuff. Great guy, very knowledgeable. So we chat about all that stuff. And look, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard us uh, about us before, we run this thing called the Rockstar Inner Circle. It's a membership here where we work with investors side by side on any different real estate investment strategy that you want to work with. So whether it's investing in student rentals or creating a second suite like we just discussed or doing a rent-to-own property or a regular rental or a multi-unit building, whatever the strategy that you're looking to implement, we work with you side by side. Our team here together, at this point, it's ridiculous. We have over a billion dollars of income property experience at this point. So we've seen everything right across the Golden Horseshoe. So we have a very experienced team. We're all investors here at heart. And as part of the membership, uh, you get access to um, 12 different real estate classes, plus a bunch of other classes, like how to create your own Amazon or e-commerce business. And the reason that we add on these kinds of classes, in addition to the real estate classes, is we have Rockstar Inner Circle members who've done really well for themselves and and then got in real estate and with real estate, and they've added on other income streams into their lives, um, some of that being an Amazon or an e-commerce business. And they are now teaching Rockstar Inner Circle members um, and giving back to the community these kinds of strategies. So um, we are definitely uh, primarily focused on real estate, but we have these other things happening here as uh, part of the membership as well. So we have a whole bunch of classes and a monthly newsletter and, and a special audio just exclusively for members. So if you want to check out all the benefits that you get as a Rockstar Inner Circle member, you can go to rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. So that's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. And you'll get access to a whole list of all the things that you get access to um, as one of the members here at Rockstar. And with that, let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Oh, yeah. We are live. 
So Nick was just asking if he was on the first podcast we did with Andy Tran. When when, when was it? <laughs> Maybe we're just all getting old and no, our memories are I just going. I can barely remember what I did three days ago. I, I think, like, I, I don't know, it's like early onset Alzheimer's or something. I shouldn't joke about that, but I mean, I, like, I, have, I swear I'm forgetting everything now. You know, we did just Not come, just you, man. Yeah, we just came back from a three or four day trip to Miami. See, I can't even remember how many days yeah. we were there. And That's probably part it, of the problem. It was a little yeah. bit of a gong show. Um, so maybe that didn't help. So it was Miami, right? You remember? It was correctly? Miami. It was great. We stayed at this great hotel called uh, the Delano that uh, Ruben picked out there. Wow, it was an amazing hotel. I've it been was, to South Beach once, that South Beach Strip, but I guess I stayed at like where the bars and restaurants are. I didn't really explore the beach too much. This time I had a chance to hang out on the beach for a little bit. Um, I went for like a long walk one morning on the beach and it was awesome. Like it's a it's a it's nice a, beach. You know what? It I, goes on forever and it's super wide. It I think great. I kind of dismissed Miami because before I we kind of went to that really just that one section across from the park. Yeah, which is pure which pandemonium. Which is crazy where people are going around on unicycles wearing leotards and oh, like yeah. they have a and snake the, around their neck and they're singing. And the bars are Have you ever been to South like, Beach there? It's been a while, yeah. It's like some interesting four characters. Four or five years ago, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, interesting the- characters. So I saw that area, and then the other time we stayed at that bigger resort um, that I also forget the name of, Fountain, Fountain yeah, Blue or yeah, whatever. That's it. And it was like a big resort, and it was further away from the strip. This was like closer. I wasn't there that time. Yeah, this was really good. This was a good I, spot. I heard about that place. And then that Lincoln good. Avenue, they closed down this one street. It's all got cafes and... Uh, oh, yeah, that was good. Nick got his phone fixed at the Apple store. That was very important. That was really a big deal. Priorities. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, no, it was a good trip. Um, actually, we have dinner, dinner reservations in Miami tonight, Andy, because somebody we went with didn't know the right dates that we were going, and they made us reservations tonight. So it's supposed to be a good restaurant. It's apparently a good restaurant. And you guys in, not going to make it? No, we're not going <laughs> to make it because we're in Toronto, and we're not going to make that reservation. It's been an ongoing joke. But anyway, Andy, back to you. You were saying... Um, so you've been busy the last few months. Second suites are definitely a thing that uh, real estate investors have been attracted to. There's lots of changes that have been going on, I'm sure, across Ontario with second suites. But- 100%, yeah. I mean, there's a ton of changes uh, in all the individual cities we're working with. Uh, provincially, uh, nationally, in the U.S., there's a lot going on in terms of secondary suites, accessory suites. It's a lot of, there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of um, sort of, the the old way of doing things and sort of recognizing that we need to come up with solutions for housing right and and second suites accessory suites that's sort of one of the things that a lot of people are looking at as a perhaps some sort of a solution or not a solution but to mitigate the housing issue so you know i'm sort of keeping a close ear on the ground to that and seeing where the opportunities for you know myself for us uh you know uh, in terms of the investor community and and where we can profit why do you know about the U.S.? You were down there checking out their stuff? Uh, well, basically just uh, keeping a, a close ear to uh, some of the publications down there. Um, there's, a, there's a bill in California, actually, that uh, recently passed in 2016 that allows every house, uh, every single-family lot uh, in California can actually have an accessory dwelling unit, a detached uh, accessory. They don't have any basements there. So okay. anybody that's so doing a secondary like unit, something like a garage, you could turn into. Yeah, a, yeah, like Fonzie garage, yeah, um, yeah. or you can uh, do a, an actual um, coach house in the rear yard. Connect all the utilities, all the systems to the main house, uh, and then the person can rent it out, or they can have a family member living there. And that's huge because California is sort of the epitome of suburban sprawl, and um, their housing crisis is w- like it's it's probably the worst in North America. Right. I mean, Ontario, definitely. BC, definitely. But um, they're probably the, the worst. So 
Um, this was something that was a really big step, and a lot of states are looking at sort of their model and seeing how uh, following their system is going to to help, right? Um, so are you seeing those trends come up into Ontario then? Like, is that influencing some of Ontario's decision-making? I don't think so, because it is uh, very uh, uh, different in terms of the, the type of housing. Like, in Ontario, the vast majority of the ones that we work on are, are basements. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, smaller cities that are allowing detached units, but there's a lot of provisions around them. So from a, a, a technical standpoint, it's very different. From the bylaw standpoint, it's actually very similar. Our, our uh, various zoning bylaws are very similar to the U.S. Um, earlier this year, uh, back in May, uh, I attended uh, a conference in Savannah, Georgia, which is the Congress for New Urbanism, and they talk a lot about um, creating urban areas and neighborhoods that are very community oriented, uh, have a good walkability, uh, transit friendly. So those sort of principles all sort of are aligned with um, some of the stuff that I'm doing and some of the stuff that I'm keeping track of. So yeah, the U.S. is, is uh, there's opportunities there as well for the people there. And then, you know, if potentially there's uh, uh, people who may be interested, you know, in Canada. Well, you, you well. take it to a whole new level. Like you think about it and go to these conferences. I just think of how screwed we all are. I just brought it down <laughs> to like, oh my God, look at the population growth. Look at the amount of new housing. Everyone's screwed. A friend of mine was asking, saying, Tom, like rents cannot keep going. Have you been, Andy, have you been keeping track of how high rents are going? That's up crazy. It's insane. Yeah. Nick, did you see that email that just came into us today about rents going up even further, like in the last two Yeah, months? they went up uh, in the last quarter. The, some of the Trebs numbers went up a hundred dollars per unit in a in a quarter like that, that, that in three months that's about on some of those units that's what about a four or five percent increase in three months I mean that's a that's a big big shift in rents right especially in, in an environment where they're supposed to be capped at two percent so I just look at it like at that point like oh my gosh look at the population growth look at the yep. amount of housing supply that's coming in and we're getting wind just through informally through some of our contacts that new housing supply is actually declining for next year meaning and our population is clearly not declining. Mm -hmm. So it's things are going to get worse here as far as demand for rental properties. Yeah. Not not better. And what what do you think about that similar kind of thinking? Yeah, I, I think you know, like you said, I think we're screwed. And how can we mitigate? <laughs> you know, the technical, I, the no, technical no, term that, is but we're screwed. But that's where we're at. Like it's at crisis levels. Yeah. Like that. That's kind of where we're at. Yeah. So what what you guys talk a lot about is the green belt, right? So uh, they're not allowing us to to build in the green belt, and now they're extending it and causing you know calling it the blue belt. So at the end of the day, there's all these people moving. There's a hundred thousand people moving into the Greater Toronto Region every year, and that's official policy from the federal government. It seems right. So where are these people living? The government doesn't want to do sprawl, so it just comes down to intensification. But they're not doing it fast enough, and they're hoping that the private sector, folks like us, are actually going to help them. Um, they're not doing the greatest job of making it easy, but we still you know, have opportunity once we uh, identify the various strategies to, to work on it to sort of create some, some of the housing to mitigate those affordable issues. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's really just uh, kind of damage control. It really, it really is. Yeah. But the opportunity for all of us who know that this opportunity sits there and exists, if we can follow the bylaws and create these housing units, we can all kind of profit from it. That's kind of the upside. If you look at the density, if you look at the, uh, the draft plan um, 
it's on the Peel website. If you go to the Peel website, you look at the draft transportation plan right now, you can see what's been already approved, supposed to be, be completed in 2022, is the LRT for Highway 10. And along Highway 10, or here Ontario, for anyone familiar with it, along Highway 10 in Mississauga, it's already been identified, those areas have already been identified as like urban growth zones. So they're going to increase density. It's a pretty dense area already. Mm-hmm. So they're going to look to increase along there. They're also looking, they proposed, it's not approved, to put some sort of um, transportation corridor spanning the entire width of Mississauga along Dundas Street and then intensify down there as well. So all these municipalities are looking at areas. So Burlington's already identified theirs. Theirs is along the GO train east to west, that GO train corridor. They want to ident- intensify or increase the density around there as well. Um, that's why you're seeing condos and stuff go up, go up in those areas. So this type of thing, where, you know, the second suites and that type of thing, it's going to become more common and the governments are going to be more open to these opportunities. There might be licensing and these, you know, the regulations around it, whatever, that, that changes everything. There already is and they might get harder or easier, it depends. But that's, it's just, it's necessity. Like this it was is, just this is what number. comes up with a friend of mine all the time. He's like, Tom, how are people going to keep affording these rents? You know how rents keep going up? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, they're not going to afford it. What you're going to be able to get for what you can afford will just continue to get smaller. Exactly. You know, like we used to rent out a single family home all around the GTA for $1,600 a month. Right. Now $1,600 a month only gets you half the house, like the top floor. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like it's not like rents will just keep increasing. It's just the space that you're going to be able to rent for the dollars that you can't afford are going to get smaller and smaller. Well, think about the condos that were built so like in 1990, right? There were like 1,400 square foot condos. Yeah, which is the, right? that's the penthouse now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and keep talk, talk right into the mic. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there we go. But now, I mean, what, a 600-square-foot condo is a pretty decent one-bedroom plus den, right? I don't well, know. 600 I don't know. square feet, yeah, yeah, yeah. starter ones are, are even yeah. smaller. We just saw something that, um, I remember Andrew LaFleur posted, or you sent it over something, that Andrew LaFleur posted the, the price per square foot or the rent of some tiny little condo. Oh, downtown. yeah, that's right. I forget what it was. Do you remember? Uh, no, it was outrageous. It was something so. disgusting. So... Um, yeah, so so like it, it's it's up everywhere, and that's exactly what you're seeing. Like people are comfortable paying a certain amount, and it's just what you get for for that amount, right? That's why people are moving into condos. There's less single family homes being rented, and more condos in Toronto than there used to be because people aren't going to now pay the you know six seven thousand dollars to rent the single family stuff. They'll pay whatever they were paying before three thousand, but they're just living in a condo instead of the house that they could have lived in ten years ago, or whatever the number is. Yeah, and it's kind of weird because I know people want it once they start to have a family. They want to move into a house and out of the condo. But if you look at how hard Canada has made it to get new mortgages, Andy, we were just looking at the data published by the Bank of Canada and new more mortgage or- originations have like fallen drastically. Even if you had like 20% down or 5% down, everything has come down. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody's kind of cheering that on saying, okay, great. We're getting like more conservative with our lending. This is a positive thing. But no one thinks of the flip side. That those people now then have to kind of go and rent and continue to rent and drive up rental prices right across the GTA like it's insane. You mentioned the blue belt. Do you know if there's any progress on that proposal? I haven't looked at it. Yeah, no, yeah. neither have I. If you're not familiar with the blue belt, like if you go to greenbelt.ca forward slash blue belt, you can pull up the map. This is the proposal to expand the green belt. And when you look at it, have you guys looked at the map? Like it, it goes all around. Like it extends oh, yeah. the green belt. So like all that space around like places like way out in even in Brantford, Ontario now become like unbuildable. Yep. Like it kind of circles all these. Different, look, if you look at this map, it goes all around the Kitchener Waterloo area, right around the Guelph area. The whole Simcoe kind of region up here is all kind of finished. Right. So like it just extra if that actually I, I doubt that gets approved. 
I have a feeling with Doug Ford now in power, this just does not go far. But yep. it's shocking when you look at this kind of stuff. But even then, I mean, even the gr- the, the green belt itself, it As sort it of is. creates a, um, an artificial border uh, with good reason, I think. And, and it's more from a fiscal standpoint. But it, it looks a lot like what Vancouver is dealing with, right? Or have dealt with in the past several decades is you got the ocean on one side and you have mountains. So anything beyond the mountains, you're looking at, you know, really further out um, cities like, you know, Abbotsford and those kind of places. But in Vancouver proper, you just you just keep getting skyrocketing prices. And that's sort of what I see with the green belt here or proposed blue belt as well. You mentioned some uh, cities around the GTA uh, allow those, what are those, like coach houses or right. accessory? What, who are, I can't um, even speak today. Okay. Who, who what, where? Yeah, who so there's, they? so the uh, the big city in Ontario, um, as we know, is uh, Ottawa that have allowed uh, a detached accessory suites. So, you know, there's a million different names for them, coach houses, carriage houses, um, detached accessory units. Anyone that's in stuff. the GTA? Uh, in the in the GTA, yeah, like Golden Horseshoe right here. Uh, not at the moment, okay. but uh, Toronto is uh, right now in the pilot uh, uh, stage for laneway houses. So for uh, any of the sort of core properties where you have laneways for cars, and typically they would be garages, uh, they are allowing uh, you to convert that garage, add in a, 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 an additional story on top of that garage, and connect essentially connect that house to the main house from the utility standpoint, but it's going to be fully functional as its own unit. So it's going to have its own kitchen and all that sort of stuff, right? So you see a lot of that in the U.S., um, uh, but now they're starting to do it. Vancouver has done that for, I think, close to 10 years now. Um, The the funny thing with Vancouver is is that they actually allow uh, that plus a secondary unit in the basement, so it's like three-in-one. Got it. Um, unfortunately, properties are still $2 million, yeah, each, so yeah, yeah. it doesn't really make sense. But from the standpoint of, you know, if you already have the property um, or even just a, a, mor- a mortgage helper, um, it's uh, it's a great strategy. Yeah. So Toronto's in the pilot process for that right now, and uh, Hamilton is starting to look into that as well. And are some municipalities making things harder? Didn't you mention something about like the St. Catharines area where they're actually making things harder? But aren't they mandated by the provincial government to have bylaws allowing different second suites be careful what you say if you're working with these guys from different cities they might be listening and then (laughs) yeah okay everybody's our friend and everyone's doing things beautifully okay well just give us the high level stuff uh well the thing is the andy literally backed up in his seat (laughs) okay no tell you the the official policy here's all the guys i hate to do business with okay they're great i meant to say they're great so let's let's hear what you say um well Okay, I'm going to start by saying this, is that um, when I talk to people, a lot of them will say, you know, don't the, doesn't the government want this? Doesn't the city want this? And, you know, the city and the government, they're not, it's not one entity, right? It's a combination of different people that work there. And as, with, as we know, with any organization, there's going to be issues. There's going to be disputes. There's going to be things that people don't agree with, right? Now, as a whole... Um, there are cities from a um, high level, like the, you know, the, the, the city councilors, um, uh, committee members, uh, you know, the mayor, city planner. There are some cities where they are more conducive to uh, intensification strategies like second suites or, uh, you know, rezoning to allow higher density. Great. Which are right? those? And uh, for the most part, like uh, the, all, all the cities that we work with, including St. Catharines, um, Hamilton, Kitchener, uh, Brantford. Toronto. Yeah, yeah, they're all... Barry, uh, Barry? Barry, yes, absolutely, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, Oshawa? Yes, yeah. Okay. So where I find challenges are, uh, it comes down to leadership of 
some of the people, you know, from the planning or the head building departments and being able to communicate effectively how things are done once you get on the ground level and you're going in. Okay, got it. Right? So what the actual bylaws are to get an approved Bylaws and building code, right? And the building and, code. And so there are, I find that there are inconsistencies because of a lack of communication between, uh, you know, within, within, the, um, uh, within the city building departments or the planning departments. Um, and I have the benefit of context because I can, I, you know, worked on a dozen different cities in Southern Ontario. I can say that this city, you know, they work a lot better because they have had a system in place for X number of years. Um, and I, I think most of it comes down to just uh, experience, right? Um, every city has to go through that cycle of challenges and learning everything and, you know, taking a couple years to develop that uh, system where it becomes simple. Okay, so, so you've been caught in some situations where you're trying to do a permitted legal second suite in in a, a single family home, right. but the bylaws haven't been clear. Like you think you've met the bylaws, but then you're realizing, holy shit. It's we're not exactly meeting what they want. Uh, bylaws are pretty clear. It it, it comes down building to the building code. code. Yeah, building code. Sorry, yeah. building code. Yeah, because the building code it's it was never designed to uh, accommodate things like secondary suites. It was designed f- primarily to build new houses, and uh, and basic renovations. Right, like if I'm doing a, a simple renovation, I'm putting in let's say uh, a new bathroom. I have to do some plumbing work. I might have to do some structural work. Or in a you know in a larger scale, maybe an addition, maybe a second story addition, maybe a rear addition. But taking an existing property and say I'm going to carve it up into two units or three units, the code was not designed for that. And uh, I've actually sent letters to ministry and emails and saying you know can you guys have a more consistent policy rather than try to use band aid solutions to with the existing building code for these types of things because obviously this is something that is uh, in sure. high demand. That's interesting. A lot of Are people you getting a response from that. Not really. Okay. He's getting, yeah, he's getting, I'm getting, resp- I'm getting, getting audited next year. That's yeah, going to yeah. be the response. Yeah, yeah. Gonna be like, they're going to send, hey, can CRA, can you just look at this guy? He's bothering no, us. No, but a I bit. admire your optimism because maybe I'm just more a cynic because I just, you're actually reaching out, trying to help them. And I'm always just thinking, you know what? It is what it is. I just have to navigate through the way I see the world and, you know, warp it to my own benefit. In integrity, like not do anything bad, of course, but you're actually taking the initiative to reach out to the cities and stuff, which I admire. So, you know. Well, I mean, I think I'm 80% your way, but I would say that if I'm able to make even just a little progress, it makes my life easy. It makes the life of my clients easier. Right. And at the end of the day, it's, um, you know, it's what they want. It's what the cities want. um, And we just want to kind of make things easier for everybody. Uh, and you know, I do get responses, but most of the responses is, you know, we're looking into it and, uh, we'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Remember yeah. you sent a letter to the prime minister once? I did. Was it, I guess it was Harper. Was yeah, it no, I think it was to Harper. What was that about? I don't know. You sent a letter, but they got a response. There you just go. Yeah, what was that about? It was, just a, it was a canned response. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was a canned response. Thanks for wasting I, the paper and sending us this. Yeah. It's, it's gone straight to the trash I can, but it, we appreciate your I thoughts. I think it was about fiscal policy in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that makes sense. It w- it would be. Yeah, I was advising the prime minister. Um, I forget. I need to write another letter because Canada sold all its gold. So like, I need to send another letter to Justin Trudeau now. No, don't they have like no twenty ounces? It's, left I think or it's sixty nine ounces. 69. It, it's sixty nine or seventy nine ounces. And Wait, I was looking for it the other day. Don't they have that huge like? Yeah, like, the mint. That, like a ton. Uh, like the, the one, the gold, big, the yeah, big bar at the mint. Like, it's like a million dollars. Yeah, like I want, yeah. No, you're right. I wonder who who owns that. I know. But no, officially, I believe. I know Sprott owns one. Eric, my understanding is Eric Sprott owns one. That might be yeah, the one he owns. Like, it's probably like on Probably loan. privately owned. Yeah. Right. How ridiculous right. is that? The country of Canada 
we have like 69 or 79 ounces. I was looking this up actually just the other day to try to I get the actual number and I couldn't find it. I got to do a little bit more digging. Interestingly, it's way easier to find what America owns in the States and we can't find here, but I'll have to write another letter. So basically when- So uh, I'm a good person like you, okay. Andy. I'm trying to help our government. Totally. <laughs> so when China uh, sort of uh, uh, attack, um, yeah. tags their, their currency uh, to, uh, to gold, to I think gold. we're screwed, or, right? yeah. Well, yeah, as soon as they stop using the US dollar and we're just so in bed with the US, we should have some alternative means of, of money as well. Just think these other countries are taking on like tons and tons of gold, growing their reserves. We sold ours. We have 69 yeah. ounces left. Yeah, but America, interestingly enough, didn't sell any no, of theirs. And they so they just turned to us. Time. You know, like who made that phone call? Hey, Canada, you know what? Let's keep the price down. You sell all your gold. <laughs> We're not going to sell any of ours. You sell yours. And it's like the Bank of Canada. They're like, who made that decision? Like who instruct? That, that's what I would love to know. Who instructed our government and said, you know, this is a good idea. We have this asset here. Countries like Russia and China are just loading up on it right now. Why don't we just sell ours in the open market? I'll tell you, someone that was coming up with some sort of fiscal update and needed to, some accounting line item to <laughs> offset some other expenses so the numbers look better. Because that's what they do. Yeah, that's yeah, typically yeah. what they do in yeah. some way, shape, or form. Oh, my gosh. Have you guys uh, seen the uh, the latest Mike Maloney videos? No, I haven't seen his latest so stuff. Got, well, you guys know the ones that he's, the, the history of money. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's come up. Well, I've, I've missed the last couple, but um, yeah, there's there's a couple more and really, really good quality stuff. Yeah, I, I like his it. stuff. But his, sometimes it goes a little bit too far for me, a little bit conspiracy theory-ish. But I do like a lot of his stuff, to be fair. Yeah, I like his stuff, too. Yeah, there's no conspiracy theory about this kind of stuff. Well, that's Not the all history just of money the, stuff. Oh. I'm talking about other things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So much of the stuff is just Sorry, I shouldn't open. say conspiracy theory. I should say doomsday-ish. Oh, God. Yeah, doomsday. Yeah, 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 yeah. The wrong word. Wrong yeah, time. that's sometimes, I think, when you have these discussions, people do think you're a little bit of a doomsdayer. Right. And I'm never about that. I'm always just looking kind of like, what's the opportunity in all this? Like, I think there's yeah. going to be a lot of opportunity for everybody all at all times. As long as I understand the rules of the game right. as they're being played, I can work those rules to my advantage. Yeah, yeah. And I just feel like it's all in the out, uh, in the open. There's no conspiracy. Like, you just watch what's going on in the world. And yeah, I, was, I misspoke. I didn't mean conspiracy. No, no, I didn't mean, oh, I didn't mean damn, Nick, don't talk about No, Doomsday. <laughs> Doomsday. I look at you like sometimes like you're a little bit crazy. I'm like, okay, I know, you're getting see, a little bit overboard. This is my brother. You know, and so. All I want is I just like to have some gold and you're immediately a doomsdayer. See, the thing is like... Um, I went in, down this rabbit hole in 2008. <laughs> That's right. We I started. went down. The, so 2008, I went down, and I'm like, "Oh man, we're all screwed, right?" Like, you know, I was listening to Jim Rogers. Yeah, like, yeah. keep the mic like right those, in front of you. Pull yeah. It, yeah so there we go. Jim Rogers, Mike Maloney, all I those love guys, Jim right? Rogers. Jim Rogers is his yeah. And, and and so I was like, "Oh man, I'm screwed. What I do?" And then I came across your you guys, you know, your stuff, and you started talking about you started talking oh, about damn. gold. I'm like, "Okay, I found I found some guys that actually like geographically are in my region that we can all like." We got a way to kind all, of like build a bunker together. We can conspire together. together. Yeah. So Andy, we have to change this podcast. Into, so Andy, how do we build bunkers up north? <laughs> no, I'm joking. Luxury bunkers. Yeah, luxury That'd bunkers. That'd be cool. I'll send a second suite. Maybe we dig one one deeper and go get a bunker, a hidden bunker, and then put something on top. Some farm. Now we're talking. That, that you know what? Actually, this is a great idea. If we had some farmland, solar panels, farmland, internet. We need to have some internet. Oh, yeah. I want to watch my Leafs. Like, I need internet connection to get Leaf updates and stuff like that. And then we had some bunker situation happening. We could be labeled doomsdayers, and I wouldn't care. I would just be happy growing my tomatoes outside. We would need some cows, too. I want chickens. I want my and chickens. And some pigs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We would need some meat. So, are we changing this podcast? No, 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 no. Sorry. So, back on to, the, <laughs> back on to this. What are some of the recent e examples of some properties? I know in your email that you send yep. out. How often do you send out that email? Every week? 
Uh, well, I'm trying to change up my strategy a little bit and mm-hmm. and do uh, a, a good blog post with a lot of research, with a lot of good information every two weeks. Uh, but I want to do an email uh, newsletter to kind of give a little uh, tip and, and, you know, a little bit tidbit of information with regards to secondary suites or any sort of um, investing or, or devel- development type stuff that's going to be help- helpful yeah, for, they're really for an good. investor. No, they're really good. And and uh, when you shared recently a story, I think, of one investor you were working with, can you share, like, what are what are you seeing from rent-wise, cost-wise? Like, walk through somebody, a current example of a, of a maybe a project you've worked on. Just paint the picture. Yeah, sure. So um, what we're trying to do is um, when we're speaking to investors, we kind of want to know, how much they're buying the property for and how much it's going to, you know, give them approximate ballpark figure on what it's going to cost to renovate. Um, in some of those markets that we mentioned earlier, like Hamilton, Kitchener, St. Catharines, you know, we definitely want to keep the, uh, the, their cost, uh, as much under 500 as possible in terms of purchasing and rentals and all these kind of costs. Okay, you so know, that so would include buying the property and the renovation cost? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so then you're having to buy the property for like, what, 420 or so to give you enough budget to to do uh, or finish the basement properly? Yeah, I would say I would say anywhere between the 380 to 420 okay. range is, yeah. the, is the sweet spot for purchasing. And uh, depending on the level of um, renovation that needs to be done. So depend, uh, depending on whether the property... Uh, is you know already finished has a, uh, a second suite that may be illegal you know that could be probably twenty twenty five thousand dollars to bring it to legal status but understand that if that's the case you're probably paying for some of that uh, existing basement apartment even though it's illegal right yeah got it whereas so you uh, mean the price of the home is a little higher it's going to be a little higher yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah yeah and that's just the nature of the market right because uh, the majority of people still aren't familiar with the sort of differences between legal and illegal, right? Yeah. So the grander market, which is a lot larger than, you know, our small investment community, they're not going to have knowledge. There's other buyers that will still buy it, uh, even though, you know, if they rent it out, they might, you know, run into issues. Uh, there are the properties where, you know, you need to gut in entirely or it's never been finished, which is more rare these days. Um, uh, but then we're looking at, you know, rentals, you know, possibly in the 60 to 80 range. Yeah, that's right? the, that's what we tell yeah. everyone. Like prepare, if you're going to start from scratch, prepare for like $80,000. Yeah, plus tax and all that. So yeah, you're, you know, you're looking close to $100,000. It's expensive. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and to be fair, the pain in the butt of dealing with the contractor, because one of the biggest challenges is finding a good contractor that's going to do it even relatively on time. It's going to show up. To show up to give you a flipping estimate. You know, because there's, there's a lot of people that have get, get themselves in, in a serious, some some not good situations dealing with contractors. Yeah. Sometimes it's a good contractor that's gone bad. Sometimes they go lowest lowest dollar figure or a really crappy estimate that's very vague and it's, uh, this sounds good. So so they go with those. But that's definitely one of the challenges with this, with this approach for sure. I mean, we've got, Andy, it's the toughest thing for us. You know how many contractors we've gone through at Rockstar kind of re- re- recommending people to, for them to keep a good name with us, it seems so difficult because- Well, you've seen, I, I mean, you've dealt yeah, with a ton Yeah, Andy's dealt with a so ton you... of this stuff. Yeah, so it's the hardest thing. It's just finding good, consistent contractors that will show up, do what they say they're going to do yep. for the price they said they were going to do it. It's, it's absolutely the hardest thing. But in that, again, is opportunity because if you're willing to go through that battle, you are going to end up with a product what you're going to rent out with the snap of your fingers. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry, we got you off track. So you're spending yep. that much money to actually do it. You're, um, they're going to need drawings and permits and the whole bit. I know this is what you help people with. Yes. Yeah. So once they get all that, um, how much time are you telling people to ballpark for the renovation? Do you give any time estimates? 
Uh, so, you know, assuming all that other stuff doesn't yeah. uh, happen with, uh, the, with contractor the contractors, right? The um, you know, a, a good time frame would be two to four months, right? Um, if you were, let's, let me give you an example of a, a finishing a basement where you're not required to get permits. You know, you're, the contractor can be there working every day, right? Maybe they're putting in a bathroom, right? Uh, but they can be there working every day. The problem when you're working in a permit situation is that in between, you know, it's a it's a relay race between um, you know various trades. One person can't complete anything until the, the the previous contractor. So you can't drywall or do any wiring until the framer is done, right? You can't do any finishes or cabinetry until the drywall is done or paint. Um, and added to that is you have the city inspectors, and it's not like you call the city inspector and they're going to be there that afternoon. Sometimes it takes two days, and sometimes it even takes up to a week, depending on how busy they are. So we always say that um, you know don't budget your time to say that you know you, you you're going to need exactly this to be done in two months or three months otherwise it's not going to work for you right you have to um l you know have a little bit more of a buffer when you're allocating time for when for you say we are you just being kind like this is you right sorry is your is your team expanding you keep saying when we say well when i say we it's more of um when i'm working with a client yeah right? got it. so okay. you know you speak like uh, we do i just wanted to be clear. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah cool and um uh, also, uh, if they can allocate more of a longer closing, you know, so minimum, if you can get 60 days, that way you can potentially line up your trades, you can get your designer in there. Smart. Right. Hopefully you'll be able to submit a building permit before your property closes so that when you, uh, uh, when you close, hopefully you got the permit and then you can hit the ground running. That's, we try our best to advise clients to do that. Sometimes it's challenging because of, you know, not being able to bring the right people in. Sometimes the cities, they just won't accept the building permit until, until the property closes. Yeah, got right? it. And then you have and, to add more time. And then what are you telling people to anticipate and rent in some of these communities? And what are you seeing? Yeah, so a lot of those cities that we mentioned, the, the rents have really gone up. Like, so I, personally, I personally was surprised when I, I started seeing some of the basement apartment rents. So we have been surprised too. Yeah. But give us the conservative and then give us the high end. Because okay. sometimes we always talk about the high end because we're all excited to see those high end numbers. Right. But give us your conservative numbers first, just to, to what you're seeing now. So what are we, fall 2018? Yeah. Okay. So what um, I'm finding when people are uh, renting an entire house, so say your starter home, right? Your, your Hamilton uh, uh, Mountain Bungalow. If you're renting that whole house out, right, you might get, you know, 2000 2200 I don't know, maybe in that in that ballpark. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're renting that out with That alone a, sounds crazy, but yeah. Sorry? No, that alone sounds crazy because it as seems, high. It seems it, high. It seems high, but no, no, I mean, no, that's from the, a number of years. He's talking about from a number of years ago, right? Yeah, just compared to just five years ago. Like, we would never see anything close yeah. to that. But yeah, sorry, cut you yeah, off. Yeah, like Go. in 20, I, I rented a house on the on the mountain uh, in, uh, in 2011, 2012, and it was, it was 1500 for the whole house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now what we're seeing is uh, obviously, you know, if it's, let's say, 2,200 for a whole house, you're not going to get that if you're renting just the upper unit of house. Maybe you'll get 1,800, 1,700, but then you get that uh, basement uh, suite, that legal basement suite. For now, we're seeing um, on the conservative end, 1,200, and we're seeing as high as 1,475 plus, um, plus utilities. Yeah, so the so the conservative would be sixteen up top, twelve at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. What yeah. we've been seeing conservatively would be similar. We tell most investors that sixteen and fourteen at the bottom, but uh, and then the high end, you're saying seventeen at the top, seventeen fifty. Yeah. And, and fourteen, yeah. fourteen fifty for the bottom. Yeah. 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 So in total, I would I would say probably in the neighborhood of 
27, 28 to possibly 32 yeah, total. Whereas one house used to generate a few years ago, like you're saying, 15, yep. 16, 1700 bucks. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Okay. And then how long um, demand, how long are you taking to rent those properties out? Once the project's finished, you put up the property for rent. How long is it taking for, to find tenants, do you feel? Are you, um, but you're not involved in that part. I right? know, but just what he yeah, sees. Yeah, I'm not involved in that part. And a That's lot of more it, what we're involved in. I guess I'm asking <laughs> you questions I know the answers to. <laughs> I just want to see hear, hear what you're saying. Uh, so it, it depends on a lot of factors. It depends on the quality of the of the renovation, sure, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, they gut it or are they kind of uh, doing something where uh, it was it was sort of a... Yeah, that's always kind gonna of a matter. Half, if you yeah. kind of half-ass the renovation, you exactly. always take a little bit longer. But yeah. I guess I'll answer the question. We're seeing pretty much immediately that you're renting it out. And I just want to hear if you're seeing different. Yeah, I, I would say it's pretty quick in uh, in a lot of those markets where uh, rental demand is high. And a lot of it has to do with uh, just the really high demand for those uh, quality units, right? Because, you know, basement apartments was one of those things was always a stigma. It's like, oh, you live in a basement apartment, like, you know, Totally. Right. But yeah, now yeah. it's it's like, well, regular middle income people who can't afford to rent out a whole house. They can't even afford to rent out, let's say, just the upper unit because of where rents are going. Um, they still are, you know, demanding high quality product. They, they still want it to be nice, clean, dry and uh, a, 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 like a nice place to live. Right. Uh, we're finding a lot of our clients uh, are renting basement suites uh, to uh, folks who may have one um uh, child that is uh, uh, needs to get to needs to go to a good school in their view, and uh, having that address in a single family neighborhood in a nice neighborhood is an advantage over say an apartment complex or even a condo, right? Because they don't have access to certain schools. So we're finding a lot of people uh, are uh, renting to uh, the basement apartment, either you know a two parent household or sure. a single parent household to somebody with a, a child or two. What about sound stuff? Are you seeing any good new solutions, innovative solutions around sound barriers between the two units? Because um, Nick and I had some experiences with uh, people living in a basement in one of our properties and upstairs. And one day I got a video sent to me that I didn't know what it was because the sound was off. Like I thought it was just a hardwood floor right. that they were sending me a video of from their dining room. And the sound was off on my cell phone and they text me this. I'm already thinking, why is this tenant texting me this video of this hardwood floor? I turn on my sound my sound and you kind of like faintly hear that's happening and it's like the couple in the basement's having sex <laughs> and and uh the people upstairs that's where like their kitchen dinette area is yeah just off their kitchen and that's where they're having breakfast with their children right right and so they're all pissed off sending me this video and i'm just like i'm um, kind of rolling my eyes because the people in the basement nick i don't know if you remember they're like shift work they were working shift work so god knows the hours they were keeping yeah. um and this is kind of the some of the stuff that we've had to deal with over the years but i know there's a ton of different solutions are you seeing anything interesting on just sound barrier quality between two units and what i mean by that is like you know something that you're retrofitting in Yes. You know, or what, yeah. what, any new stuff. Out so there's there? three things I want to discuss when it comes to sound separation. The first mm -hmm. thing is the design, the layout. You want to have you want to mirror the, uh, you know, in a basement apartment, you want to mirror the upstairs as much as possible with downstairs. Right. So bedrooms, bedrooms. Yeah, exactly. Room, we right? learned that the hard so way. They're having yeah. So yeah. they're all having sex at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So it's not that bad. Match yeah, the right? bedrooms. <laughs> don't have a bedroom underneath the, the yeah. kitchen. And the other thing is, uh, you know, somebody, you know, binging on Netflix or something upstairs and the person downstairs is trying to get to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Or that's, PS4, that's a big one. video yeah. games. Yeah. 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 So that's a big one. Um, the the other thing is uh, um, uh, by by code, whenever you do a, uh, a legal unit, you have to meet this. Uh, there's a there's a sound transmission rating that you have to meet. Right. So 
Um, assuming you're gutting the whole thing and redoing it, you have to put sound barrier, you have to put these metal resilient channels that absorb a lot of the sound when the drywall is attached to it. So that helps a lot. Um, the big one that we come across as being an issue, though, is uh, when you share a, a heating system. Yeah, the HVAC. Right? So you get the HVAC, right? So we've had clients who actually put in uh, a, a, some type of a foam inside the ducts that absorb some of that sound, right? And anything further than that, it's really, you know, having an entirely separate heating system. HVAC system. So sorry, um, that, that foam is, that's allowed? You're putting foam in the HVAC as a It's a, a special type of like, is it? yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. Nick, have you heard of that foam? No. I don't think no, I've heard, heard of that it. foam. Okay. That's new to me. Okay. Yeah, we've had a couple of people do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Because no, but sometimes that makes a big right. difference because the sound channels through that HVAC system cra- in a crazy way. Well, yeah. in our office right here, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the same problem yeah. we have with the HVAC Totally. Yeah, okay. there, there's other uh, solutions like uh, certain types of um, uh, uh, cork or uh, resilient uh, types of flooring on the upper floor that you can you can have to dampen some of the sound. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not going to be 100 percent. I mean, even on a on a condo, you'll hear if somebody's jumping around upstairs, you're going to hear it. Right. So it's really a lot of comes down to the expectations of the tenant that's living downstairs. Um, I find what people uh, that drives people crazy is just just footsteps, like footsteps. just just doors. walking. They're doors, not even... doors closing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's you know one thing I recommend to all my clients is have that discussion with the basement tenant and say you know you're, you're going to hear sound, right? Is totally. that something that's going to be an issue for you, or are you going to freak out? We had one basement tenant who knew there was a baby upstairs, and the people upstairs put a nice little note on the back door saying, you know, please, you know, baby naps. Can you just like. Um, close the door quietly they're convinced that made it worse where the people were just starting to slam the door in a harder fashion the other thing we've tackled a few times is garbage do you have any interesting solutions around garbage because what we've seen on some of these properties is that they'll complain on you know basement tenants not taking out their garbage or has too much garbage Um, we've always been able to navigate through that having two different kind of blue box systems and that kind of thing but anything uh, anything new and fun that you yeah that I mean the first thing is to find out if the city will allow you to have a uh, uh, two separate boxes, right? And for the most part, if if they are um, allowing you to have two separate units, they will have that option. I mean, you might em- end up having to pay for it. Um, that's the number one thing. And then the other thing is, you know, work out some sort of a schedule with your tenants to say that, uh, you know, yeah. who's going to be responsible for taking out the garbage, if it's going to be a shared bin, that sort of stuff. Um, the, the, the biggest thing is setting provisions so that you minimize conflict between Totally. Tenants. So... We had we had um, one. Um, I have one client, Carlos. Uh, he went even as far as to separate the outlets outside, so that um, one tenant cannot use the other tenant's outlet. No, and oh, he put a lock on it. I love that. So that you can't like you know charge your Tesla on the other guy's dime. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. So what? He had two outlets outside. So like, and one out- was assigned for basement. One was yeah I, yeah no. with with a lock on it. This is with a little key lock. Yeah. So those kind of things, those are little details that that he had separate meters for them, separate water meters. Um, So he went the extra, you know, mile to to kind of create an environment where there's going to be minimal conflict between the tenants. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's brilliant. It's funny because, you know, so much negative press around landlords like Nick, didn't someone share with you some infographic that said 80 percent of the media and any 80 percent of articles written in the Canadian media about landlords are always like have a negative slant. Didn't we recently like see that. I forget I forget the exact numbers. But yeah, there yeah. was something. Like but that. on the flip side, landlords have to be kind of basically social workers. Andy, in one of our properties, we had tenants kind of arguing between each other on some noise levels and stuff like that. But the pe- people in one unit would not go on record 
So they wouldn't sign the N5 or the N6, whichever form it is from the tenant board saying, hey, like they're disturbing the peace. I can't enjoy my unit. And then you're just kind of stuck in the middle and can't do anything. So you have to explain to the tenants, hey, if you're not going to go on the record and sign this piece of paper saying that they're actually bothering you, my hands are actually tied. I can't go to the tenant board. And I was starting to try to figure out creative solutions. Nick, I don't know if you remember this. One of them was is like you can go ask the neighbor to see if the neighbor sees that there's this stuff going on, like they're being loud or, you know, they're coming home late at night or they're revving the car in the driveway or whatever they're doing. And if you can get the neighbor to kind of like rat out the people in the basement, that actually can carry some weight. But it's like sometimes landlords are just put in these like impossible situations, you know, which is like never discussed. Right. So like uh, it's good to have someone like you here and all of us doing what we're doing to defend the rights of the landlord. I pumped my fist as I said that. Anyway. um, Yeah. So so uh, did I cut you off? Were you about to say something else? No, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Andy, I'm curious. You you know, you do this kind of stuff. You you're working with investors all across Ontario. You quit your job. How how long ago? Uh, Well, I was uh, I was kind of doing. sort of the quote-unquote side hustle thing yeah, for a yeah. while while I was working. I didn't actually quit officially until um, uh, January of 2017. Um, but I've been I've been operating the company for a good uh, total of four years right now. Okay, good. Yeah, so yeah, you're like, yeah. what, a year, almost two years Almost in? two years okay, in. Okay, great. This is perfect. Yeah. We can ask you. So how's yeah. your life and where are you breaking? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a loaded question. Where yeah, do I yeah, start? Yeah, yeah. Um, what are you finding? What's the challenges? I think the what, challenge what surprised really is, you most? You know what? I don't think it's anything new for for, for entrepreneurship, right? It's kind of like you. Everybody has to go through that cycle of doing everything until they realize that they can't. Yeah, especially uh, at least when not you leave cor- a corporate job, because sometimes yeah. in your corporate job, I don't know if you had this, but you might have assistance and you might help and you might do like a very kind of specific role in that company. And when you go out on your own, yes. you end up tackling everything. Yes, right. It's yeah. some of the biggest challenges we face with investors who do come from pretty high positions in corporate Canada and come and work with us to buy investment properties. And then we end up having to tell them, look, you are the person who calls the lawyer, the bank, the contractor, the Andy. You know, you call <laughs> everybody. You're, you are the quarterback that has to do all this stuff. Yes. And if somebody drops the ball, you're the person who steps in and cleans it up. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so you've gone through the same thing. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it really came to head when um, uh, sort of, I would say early spring this year, so 2018, where um, I did a count of the, the number of projects that we were involved with in, in 2017. It was 70. So we worked on 70 house conversions Good for in 2017. You, Good for you. And, and um, it was just, there was more coming in. And I was looking at, I was <laughs> looking at the pace that we were going at, uh, in early 2018. I said, this year is going to be 100 at the pace we're going. And I, and I sort of, I said, no, I have to kind of figure something out. I went away for a month. <laughs> Good for you. Um, and uh, sort of wrote everything down and said, you know, what am I going to do when I come back and what systems am, am I going to put in place, right? So um, hiring a uh, um, uh, drafts person on my team. Um, actually, I have a couple of people that help, help with that. Awesome. Uh, we have uh, Rob, who was my client for several conversion projects, uh, who's also a home inspector, and he's been great. He's been helping us on site and working with the city and working with the clients as well. Um, so just really focusing more on, you know, how do I, how do I grow, you know, but at the same time, not take away all my time. Right. Cause you know, I still have all the other stuff that yeah. I have to deal with. I have a young family and all that. So yeah, you have yeah, a family. Yeah. How's the family been <laughs> good? Yeah. They've been amazing. Yeah. You need that. Um, we should have warned you that, you know, we've, uh, Rockstar has been around for, uh, just over 10 years now and almost everyone like yourself who we've kind of 
said, hey, here's a great guy, like, and we start referring business over to you, Andy. Uh, it's happened with lawyers, mortgage brokers, bankers, home inspectors. We've pretty much broken everybody <laughs> where we're just passing business because we're growing. Yes. And we keep passing business around. And then the people we're passing the business to, you know, you have to, you either figure out the systems or you break. You know, so good for you for stepping back. And um, I like the fact that you took a month off. I feel like Nick and I would have taken an hour trying to map out some stuff. You're, you're, you're smarter than us taking a month away. Well, I wasn't actually, I didn't stop the business. I just yeah, no, physically left for a month, but had the systems in place yeah. to kind of keep, you know, the existing But step, doesn't working, stepping yeah. away from the business, um, I mean, we find this, it gives you a whole new perspective. Like yes. when you step out for a little, even when we travel a little bit, we find when we just get out of the office and look back and reflect on our business, mm -hmm. it yeah. gives you a brand new perspective. Yeah. You know, so I really appreciate those moments. Like mm -hmm. those are, those mm -hmm. can be game changers in the development of your own business and kind of the structuring of your life. Right. Yeah. So good for you. Um, uh, li little simple changes. How do you, what's your day look like drinking a lot of coffee in the morning? Um, I, uh, I was doing that for a while, but, oh. uh, I went to see, um, our, our friendly, Dr. Uh, natural yeah, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> what did he uh, say? cut out the coffee. Pretty much um, just uh, figure something out because my cortisol levels are just, it, it's ridiculous. Flat? Yeah, flat. Like as soon as I get up in the morning, I'm below the <laughs> bottom threshold. Oh and uh, it's, uh, it's Dr. Mishan and, and she told me, uh, you got to do something about this. So I'm um, on some supplements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not alone. When Mike, Nick, did yours come back flatlined like that? Mine were flatlined as well. No, mine, mine were Your fine. cortisol levels were coming. They were in the proper shape. They were just all dragged a little bit down. And we, I did some stuff with my gut and they all went back up. But they were all... The whole, the they were all in the proper shape. Yeah, because I like didn't that. realize this. Your cortisol level is supposed to rise right before you get out of bed to right. help you get out of bed. And yeah. then it rises till about noon. And then it slowly kind of comes down. Um, and then it comes down at a faster kind of pace or longer uh, around 4 or 5 p.m. until you go to bed. Yeah. And, and mine, it sounds like yours were the same, were absolutely flatlined. That's yeah. when I stopped coffee for like, yeah. was it a year and a half? I think I had no coffee for a year and a half to repair my adrenal glands or part of the process to repair my adrenal glands. Yeah, so it was flat like the whole day. It was just so, like right uh, on the bottom. So have you fixed that now? Uh, we'll see. I'm in, I'm in the Are process. You, okay, so you're yeah, no yeah. coffee mode right now? Well, that's kind of hard. You're early. cheating? I, well, you're I, totally I, cheating I, on the program. <laughs> I was not told uh, to, to avoid it 100%, but uh, I definitely cut back on, on that and, uh, and yeah, just getting more sleep. What about email? When do you tackle your email first thing in the morning? Like, walk me through your day. Like, do you, sure. Are you get up and breakfast and then tackle yep. your email? How do you, how do you work? Uh, yeah, so right now I'm trying to, uh, I'm doing more of um, just kind of managing things um, because I do have uh, a small team that's helping me on site now. Uh, so when it comes to emails, it's really, um, for the time being, I'm trying to kind of get to it every couple hours. Um, not to the point yet where I can say I'm only going to check it twice because uh, there are still things that are sort of happening. But you're being conscious sure. about it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got it. Exercise? Are you doing yeah. any exercise? I know I see you erratic sometimes. Yeah, I'm there. Uh, I, I usually... I'm there once a week and then I will... Because you don't uh, live close by. No, So you're just no, stopping no. in when you drive by. Yeah, yeah. So I get in there once a week. Hopefully, maybe uh, I might be able to get in... Today? This yeah, yeah okay. this afternoon. But uh, then I copy the uh, the workout in my local gym there. And uh, so I oh, get to... Oh, you do? You're doing yeah, yeah. the local work. So whatever Dan at Radix programs you're doing at your local gym? Yeah. So I'll do, let's say, a Monday evening at Radix. Okay. And then on a Wednesday or Friday, I'll just uh, kind of repeat it at my local gym. So you do like a yeah, CrossFit yeah. style workout at yeah, your yeah. local gym. Yeah. Do just people look at you myself. like you're crazy? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're moving around doing <laughs> yeah. things that's not typically done. Yeah. But they got they have that equipment now. I mean, they, they got all the most gyms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the like kettlebells bumper plates. And stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, that you can oh, throw yeah. down on the Ket floor. Kettlebells. And they have like a functional fitness area as there's wall balls kicking around. Like the gym I was at in Miami, like we went to the CrossFit gym, but the other gym. 
whole functional fitness area with yep. TR, a big TRX rig for people that do the TRX stuff. If you want to do that, mm-hmm. one guy was practicing cleans and no, they didn't have bumper plates, but he was practicing cleans with regular plates and lightweights. Yeah. And stuff. Just putting it down and stuff like Tons that. Tons of stuff. They had a track with a couple prowlers there, like a couple sleds to push or pull. Mm-hmm. That yeah, stuff. It. That's way, it's way more common than it used to be. I think yeah. even like the mom and pop places are, are putting that type of thing in because it's it, because of the growth in it. People are looking for, for both sides of that. Right. Do you know anyone who has one of those bikes that uh, with that one brand? Um, what's that brand where you have that big screen? You guys know about this bike? What's it called? Damn, I just saw the ad. You uh, you join live classes from home. Oh yeah, so I've seen it's it. like a kind of like a spinning class. You have this bike. You have this big twenty-two inch flat screen. I've seen that. You join in live classes from New York. So the classes are broadcasted in New York, but you can be in your basement. That was also on. I guess it was Shark Tank. It was, I'd say right? probably Shark Tank over Dragon's Den. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I, I saw a big it. billboard on our way back from Miami coming to the Toronto airport there. I saw a huge billboard yeah. for it, and I hear they're just taking off. Darn, what's the company name now? I think it's on, uh, I think I heard on Tim Ferriss' podcast. He that's right. Something like that. Is, yeah, it yeah, Pel- yeah. is it Peloton bikes? That's, I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah thank okay. you. Yeah, I you? couldn't picture myself ever doing that. I didn't know those spinning classes were like that. Like, I didn't know you actually kind of cycle like that for 45 minutes. I'm such a pickup heavy object person that that yeah. seems like something I need to work on. I took them, I took, uh, when I was in Mexico last time, I was like, there was the, every morning I was at the gym, I would do a workout, but at the end of my workout, this spin class was starting. I was like, oh, I'm going to try one. And I ended up doing it, I think like four straight days. It was fun. It was just a way to get my heart rate up. They're, and you could keep the pace for like 45 minutes or whatever? Yeah, because I mean, I don't know what level the instructor was going for these people, so I couldn't really tell you, but... There's different. Uh, you yeah. go different speeds. You raise the speed. You can and like throttle and, the bike, and then right? you throttle the bike. So if you can't, if you can't go at the, you know, the level they tell you to, you just put it lower, and you can basically spin the thing without doing anything. It it gets so easy. So yeah, got it, got it. Okay. Yeah, it was more me, me getting some, like when it was supposed to go fast with like low threshold. It was more me trying to get into the flow because I was like, this is just. And do weird. you think that's trans? Fast. If you do a spin class like that, is that transferable? Like, are you building up your cardio so that when you start running and stuff, your engine's a little bit bigger and you can kind of run a little bit longer? Yeah, it depends stuff? what you do on a regular basis, right? So yeah, it depends what level. But everything's got. Anytime you're raising your heart rate for that period of time, there's going to be benefits to it. Yeah, got it. it. Just all depends on what you're looking to do with that and what what it can take away from too. Right, because if you're just doing that type of stuff for that period of time and you're not doing any other strength training, you're gonna you're gonna um, give you're gonna train one system and not train another. So no, I mean if you mix it, if you do some strength training, but you yeah. do some of this stuff, but in your strength training, like let's say you do some CrossFit stuff, has some running in it, but because you've been doing this bike twice, three times a week or whatever it is, do you think you'll get some benefit from your running? Of, uh, well, it depends what you were doing before. If you were doing no heart rate stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you jump onto the Which bike, and it's going to help. Yeah, yeah. But if you were doing other CrossFit workouts, this bike isn't going to particularly work on your running. What's going to do better is going to work on your running. Yeah, got it. Andy, we um, Nick is so committed to going to the gym that we were going to go out for dinner in Miami, and I don't know, it was like six o'clock or something. But our reservations got like pushed or whatever. It was a big disaster with this one dinner. <laughs> but uh, a, a, a guy that we were with, I'm not going to mention his name, came to the dinner. We all wear nice colored shirts. He came to dinner with a tank top. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to mention. I'm not naming names. Anyone who knows us can figure it out. But uh, um, we the dinner reservations late. Nick looks at us, he's like, well, what are you guys going to do? And everyone's like, well, I guess we're just going to like hit the bar and get a drink or whatever yeah. and wait. And Nick's like, you know what? I'm going to go to the gym. I'll see you guys here in an hour. He goes off to the gym, which is like two blocks away in Miami. He does a workout and comes back. One of the guys, a friend of ours from California, was shocked by this for like two days. He couldn't figure out how Nick would slip in a gym workout when the, re- <laughs> the dinner reservation. And you did do it, right? 
Yeah, yeah, no, I did. Yeah, I, I just like, I mean, it's just who I am. Like, I like to, if I can't get, when I, especially when I'm on vacation, I like to get my heart rate up once a day. I like to kind of do that. And then I know the rest of the evening will be better because if I just have to go sit down and just hang out when I haven't done that much that day, I, I just start to go a little bit crazy. So I, I, I just like it. Um, I know we got way off track there. Andy, I want to come back to you on the, some of the second sweet stuff. When we go around the Golden Horseshoe, are there anything investors should know about the different areas? Or is it just contact that city and figure out what the bylaws are in that city because they're all going to be a little different around the building code and the permit process. Is there anything you can kind of give advice around that? Yeah, I would say the biggest piece of advice I would give in terms of looking at specific cities is how much experience they've had with this process. So very specifically, if you're looking so you at... So what, you can come out and ask the city? What's that? You just come out and ask the city how much experience they have? Uh, well, just kind of find out uh, how long it's been allowed in their city, right? Because that will tell you a lot about how they're going to handle the the whole permitting process. So two cities that are side by side, one is Kitchener and one is Cambridge, right? They're going to have totally different approaches because K- Kitchener has been doing it for years, whereas Cambridge actually just recently started allowing them because they finally got their bylaws in place. So understand that if you're going to be doing a conversion in Cambridge, it's probably going to be a whole process of okay, does everyone in the planning department, do they fully understand what the bylaws are with regards to parking, lot size, unit size, all that sort of stuff. And then once it gets to the building department, when they're doing the uh, the examination of your permit drawings, are they going to fully understand what you're trying to do here? Is the inspector going to fully understand? So I would say the single most important piece of advice when you're choosing a city or looking at various cities uh, as, as an option is to find out how they process it. And the number one thing is if you go to their website and if you can find sort of like a one-pager or a two-pager that explains secondary suites or accessory suites, whatever they want to call it, um, if they have some documents, um, that's a good sign, right? That, that, uh, okay, so know, some been, organiz- organized thought has been put behind this. Yeah, yeah, because they've gone through the sort of the, uh, uh, the headaches of dealing with homeowners and, and, and contractors who didn't know what they're doing. And they said, you know what, we have to come up with a system. Here's the system. We're going to create this cheat sheet and we're just going to have it online and, and people are going to be able to read this before they go and apply. Yeah, there were a lot of municipalities. Right. When this when this first came out, when the, gov- the provincial government mandated all these municipalities do this and they started authorizing second suites and homes, um, started allowing them and, and put the systems, put the process or the rules around them, I guess I should say, the bylaws. The, um, there was a lot of municipalities, but they didn't, no one knew what the heck was going on. You would call into the, the city or town and the, one person would tell you one thing and you knew it was totally wrong, so you'd call someone else. Like, it was a, it was a gong show. There were some that early on were pretty, I remember looking at some charts and stuff. I think Barry was one of the early ones that was kind of nailed down a nice little process of exactly what to do, a nice little flow chart. Yep. Of, yep. And, um, but there were other ones that were just I remember when we mess. called Oakville. Remember when we were calling Oakville? We were trying to explain to them what we were even asking. They were clueless at one point. I'm sure it's more organized now, but uh, okay, cool. And then what about property types? So are there any property types that you've noticed that I know the price point, it's something we tell all investors we work with too, like that Mm -hmm. starter home 380 to like, we'll go as high as 500 ish. Yes. Yes. Um, That's kind of our price range. But what about the types of properties? Anything to keep in mind there? Just as a general rule of thumb. Sure. Yeah. I like the, uh, I like the sort of the post-war 1950 to 1970 types of properties and they can be bungalows or they can be those split level homes. So the split level homes comes in two flavors. It's side splits or the back splits. And the great thing about those split-level homes is that a portion of that second suite is actually above grade. So in a lot of those designs, I would say probably you know, 20% of the work that we do are those split-level homes. A, um, the common area where the, the living room and the kitchen is, that's actually above grade. So it's more appealing for somebody 
um, a tenant who lives in a secondary suite to have the majority of their awake time is actually their above grade. And, you know, when they go to sleep, the, the, the bedrooms are in the basement. I find generally those are a little bit higher in demand, uh, higher rent, just because it's not full Yeah, those are great properties. Yeah. Especially if you get those four level backs and side splits, those yeah, are yeah. big properties. For sure, for sure. And I find that with those suburban homes that were built in the, uh, you know, the mid-century to around 1970, you have larger lots. So there's a greater distance between you and your neighbor. Obviously, that's good for, you know, obvious reasons, uh, but also parking and things like that. Uh, water management to make sure there's, you know, you can control the water. Whereas a lot of the newer subdivisions, you know, they're really tight, tightly, you know. Got it. Uh, compacted and together where, where, and entrances are an issue as well. Where are people messing up the most? Is it just uh, not understanding the time frames on how long it can take to do this project? You know, when you hit some contractor delays and some permits, or is it a money financial thing that they don't fully understand that if you're going to build something out, you do need some contracting dollars to spend to finish out the basement? Like, is there a common mistake people are making? I would say that's the biggest one. What, is, what is misunderstanding the, con the contracting? The, the contracting and not hiring the right contractors. Yeah, got um, it. Just what you mentioned earlier about, you know, you know difficulty with contracting. Yeah. Right, and my piece of advice when it comes to contractors, it, it doesn't really matter the the, the size of the company. Um, it, it matters their level of experience. Uh, you know, maybe they didn't do a secondary suite before, but you want to work with contractors who've actually dealt with the city, because um, as soon as something goes wrong, and it will go wrong with the city, like the city will point something out. You don't want a contractor who has another thing, like another person to point their finger to, to say that this is not our fault. This is now the city's fault. Now, you can go with a huge company that does, you know, dozens of these conversions a year or even more because they're a larger company. They can absorb some mistakes and losses. Or you can go with the two guys in the van. Um, obviously, they're not going to be as uh, insulated from issues because, you know, they have to make sure that they, uh, they stay afloat, right? Um, make your decision as to who you want to hire. But the number one thing is, you know, you want to have somebody that has the experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I, we find that the problems that the biggest challenge a lot of my clients run into is um, they will get a quote that is, say, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 lower than the other guy um, because they didn't take into account all those extra things they have to do, the egress windows, the smoke alarms, um, you know, the special fire rated drywall, all that sort of stuff. They didn't factor that in. And then they yeah, come so on normal. later and saying that they have to add that in because otherwise they can't afford. To. So you end up you end up paying for it afterwards. Classic. Right? When you're trying to compare two quotes from contractors, you're not often not comparing apples to apples. You know. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Andy, thanks for doing this. Where, where can people find uh, your URL? What are you up to? Share. Yeah, um, sweeteditions.com. And I have to say that it's spelled S-U-I-T-E editions because a, a bunch of people go to uh, W. Uh, excuse me, S W E E T, and it's this lady that sells, I think, like uh, some sort of. Tell a, us, uh, what are you? What are you trying to? What are you trying to? So bad, it could be. Uh, you know, it could be. God knows what. What yeah, it could yeah, be yeah, on okay. the internet, right? It okay, could be so anything. It's not yeah. Sweet Editions S W E E T. It's S U I T E Editions. Yes. Dot com. Dot com. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And that. And on that site, that's to con your contact information. Yeah, so uh, that's my contact information. I have a, a, an ebook on there that's uh, uh, is sort of a beginner's guide for somebody that looks into uh, wanting to do second suites. But I also talk a lot about other opportunities like development uh, with you know high high density that sort of stuff as well. So just trying to uh, encourage people to think outside the box when it comes to. Yeah, cool. You know, investing in stuff like that. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes on you, Mr. Andy Tran, and bring <laughs> you back regularly so we can get updates. Thanks for doing this, man. Yeah. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, appreciate Andy. it. 
Hey everyone, it's Tom Crowds again. So hopefully you enjoyed that episode. And remember, if you're looking to get into real estate investing yourself and you would like to be part of a group that's doing this all together, you can check out the Rockstar Inner Circle membership at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. And we have a list there of all the different benefits you get as a Rockstar Inner Circle member. Some people join just for the education for our large events throughout the year or our more kind of intimate classes here in the office um, to, to uh, meet different investors and hear their stories. Every month uh, we publish a member of the month where they outline the different properties they've purchased and how the, the um, how the cash flow numbers are working, how the strategies that they're using are working so that we can all learn from each other. So that's one of the things that we're doing here that we're really proud of is the Rockstar Inner Circle membership. You can check out all the details at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>